In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. In the Christmas Gospel, Caesar speaks and God speaks. St. Luke tells us, quote, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Caesar exercises his power by an edict that required all to be counted and all to pay. Meanwhile, the silent word is sleeping in Bethlehem. God exercises his power by sending his son into the world to be born in a manger. As Psalm 2 says, quote, I will rehearse the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. This is the very kind of behavior that causes people to doubt the existence of God. If God is almighty, why is the word silent and sleeping? Why does God make the mother of God travel 70 miles to give birth? Why doesn't God require that they make room for him at the inn? Why doesn't God force people to do what he wants? Why isn't God more like Caesar? God acts in this manner throughout the Bible. He speaks in ways that are not very impressive at first. Noah builds a boat. Abraham leaves his country and takes a long and arduous journey to the land of promise. Moses appears to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. The boy Samuel is sent to live with Eli the priest. The young man David is anointed as king. It wasn't obvious in these circumstances that God's actions had any relevance at all to the problem at hand. But this is the way God commonly exercises power. He accomplishes his will over time through flesh and blood people who are faithful to obey him in the ordinary course of life, who fight actual battles and conquer real enemies. There is a kind of power that seems frightening and awesome in the moment, but is revealed over time to be yet another tedious display of human pride destined for failure. And there is a kind of power that seems weak and ineffectual in the moment, but has a transforming influence in the long run. There are those who yell and demand, who extort and strong-arm, who use their positions of authority to take advantage of others. Time reveals them to be sinners awaiting a terrible judgment. And there are those who quietly do the will of God, who confront evil and encourage the good, who use their gifts to serve others, and are faithful unto death. Time reveals them to be the children of God. 
Christmas is only the beginning of a story that will reach its climax on Good Friday and Easter. It is a real story, and that is what makes it powerful. Christmas reminds us that God conquered sin, suffering, and death by facing actual temptation, enduring real pain, and allowing himself to be killed. God redeemed human life by actually living one. There is a part of us that doesn't like this method. There is a part of us that wants God to do it the easy way, to get rid of pain and suffering by magic. Let God speak from his throne in heaven and simply decree that there be no sin, no more suffering, no more death. The problem is that real enemies cannot be conquered by mere bluster and rant. Real enemies can only be conquered by actually facing them and actually conquering them. This is the secret to understanding God's work in our lives. God doesn't magically take things away. Rather, he gives us the grace and the power we need to conquer these things over time. Once God enters the story, the victorious outcome is assured. To be sure, the battle must still be fought. Herod will still rise up in violent opposition. The whole Holy Family will still have to flee to Egypt. The Holy Innocents will still die. There will be temptation, conflict, agony, and the passion. But Herod, Rome, and all who oppose the Son of God will lose. God will win. The decree of God, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, will trump the decree of Caesar. In fact, the decree of Caesar that all the world should be taxed is already being used by God for his own purposes. For the prophet Micah had said that the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. Caesar's decree is the means by which God makes it happen. Christmas is the beginning of our story in Christ. The collect draws a parallel between the incarnation and our baptisms. God's son took, his na- took our nature upon him and was born of a pure virgin. Through baptism and faith, we are regenerate and become God's adopted children. Jesus is God's natural and eternally begotten son. We have become God's children by adoption and grace. Through baptism and faith, God enters into our story. This means a victorious outcome is assured in our lives as well. Life in Christ provides no promise of freedom from suffering, temptation, conflict, or death. 
Life in Christ simply promises that none of these things will defeat us. We will win. In Christ, we will conquer our enemies, and we will rise from the dead, just as Christ will conquer every enemy and rise on Easter. This is the confidence of faith that is expressed in Magnificat. Mary, barely pregnant with the Son of God, proclaims, quote, He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. It hasn't really happened completely yet, but now that God is in the story, it is as if it is already done. The victory is possessed right now through faith. We live through the life and triumph of Christ as we fast and feast our way through the calendar. Now the word is made flesh. Soon we will remember again how Christ is revealed to us during Epiphany. We will fast, pray, and fight the spiritual battle with Christ in Lent. And we will rise again with him on Easter. The movement from Christmas to Easter is the essence of all of life in Christ. We live through our battles knowing that Easter is coming. Victory is guaranteed now that God is with us. This confidence is not cockiness or wishful thinking. It is simply that God has spoken and it will come to pass. Christmas invites us to put renewed faith in the Son of God, to begin to live in Christ and participate in the victory of God that begins at Christmas. Come, feast and fast with the church as we live in Christ and look forward to Easter. Come and experience the power of the incarnation, which is, as Colossians says, quote, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.